Why is there so much pain and suffering? What do we do about the evil we see? Why did this happen to me? Is God real and where is he? What is he like? What am I living for? Who am I? Every one of us has theological questions. And we will all have a theology on those questions, whether we realize it or not. But it's only when we think about such things that we realize that we are all indeed theologians. You are a theologian. And if you've not already been complimented today, then that is a tough one to beat. If you are visiting today, then I'm so sorry. I'm challenging my own faith and the faith of all of us in this room this morning. Because if revival was going to break out, this would probably be the least likely message for revival to break out after. But in the words of Jesus, the wind blows where it wishes. Today, as John said and Sarah said, we are starting a three-part series that we've called The Big Picture. Last week was a big vision message, and I encourage you, if you haven't already seen it, if you weren't here, please go back and watch it. And know that in an upcoming series in June, John is going to be unpacking, going on a journey, taking us on a journey of, of unpacking that vision. Because, of course, lots of us will have questions. And questions are good. When we ask questions about why we do things, this is the heart of this series. And so alongside it, as Sarah mentioned, we are going to be running something called the Lectio course, which starts on Monday, 13th of April, starting at 7.30 p.m., and it runs for five weeks. Because here at Coastline, we don't want you to get to know your Bible. We want you to get to know the God of your Bible. And so this Lectio course is a great way to do that. It's going to help you to hear God better as you learn how to pray the Bible while you read it. So it's a five-part video series written by Pete Gregg exploring the ancient practice of Lectio Divina. And you can sign up for it, I think, I hope, with the QR code on the chair in front of you. So the big picture, this three-part series, you can think about it as if today is the why, next week is the what, and then the following and final week is the how. Because we recognize that actually there are many of us here who are new to faith or exploring faith or connecting with faith. And so we want to just take a moment to think through what we believe, what we bring to the Bible when we read it. And remember that what we believe affects what we live. Now the Bible helps us to understand those things, but today we are looking at what is theology. So this is very much an overview message, very topical. It's not a typical preach where I'm resisting the temptation to take a passage of the Bible and go deep into it together. But by the end of it, you will all know the difference between antinomianism, modalism, molinism, Calvinism, and Arminianism, so that leaving here today, you have a sound soteriology. And if you are sat there this morning thinking, whatever that guy just said, it's all Greek to me, it's probably because most of it is. Many of us may sometimes ask the big question, how do I know I'm really a Christian? And if you just laughed, you probably are. 
18 months ago, my wife and I were living in a holiday park temporarily, and we were the first to arrive on the scene of a man being crushed by a 70-ton tree brought down by a storm. And in the midst of the wind and the rain, whilst I'm climbing through the rubble to reach this guy, so a holiday park home, it's just like reinforced paper walls. These are not sturdy brick-and-mortar buildings. Like this thing had just been destroyed, like it just exploded. It was in smithereens. So this guy had been in bed asleep, and this tree was now on top of him, crushing him. So I've climbed through the rubble to reach this guy, and I didn't notice that there were live wires that had been cut by the impact of this tree. And then through the darkness and the wind and the rain, there is a much longer version to this story, by the way. This is very condensed. But through the darkness, the wind and the rain came the face and the voice of one that I recognized, which was none other than Scott, who many of you will know, who's sat just down here. And so after recognizing each other and trying to make sense of how we're both here and sharing a bit of an assessment of the condition of this guy because I'd managed to get to him and he was alive, because of Scott's training and understanding, the first thing he turned to a member of staff who had just arrived on the scene as well to say was cut the electricity. I could have injured this guy more, possibly, or even both of us be electrocuted or dead. Because when we lack understanding, we can do damage to ourselves and others. So, what is theology? Well, without getting too technical and opening huge books this morning, to keep it really simple, theology, when we break the word down, means reasoning about God. It's really the thinking that's going on behind what we believe, behind when we read the Bible, what we bring to it when we read it. St. Anselm said that theology is faith-seeking understanding. And Augustine wrote that theology is an explanation of the divine. At its heart, our faith is simple. God loves you. You have been created on purpose, with a purpose. You are more than a cosmic accident by a creator God who knows you and loves you and desires relationship with you. And so God gives us this gift of freedom, which is actually the ultimate expression of love, to choose to love someone. But instead of choosing to love God, we love ourselves and other gods that we create in his place. And this ushers in death, destruction, and sin, which shatters and ruptures the fabric of all of life as we know it. But God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in that place. And so he does the most loving thing he can, which is that he himself comes into creation as Jesus to rescue us from the sin and destruction and death that we have brought in. Now, sin is really the pleasures that when we think that we're purchasing them, we're actually selling ourselves to them. And so to deal with this issue of sin and destruction and death, God dies in our place to satisfy the law, to pay the price for the law that we have broken by our rebellion to him. And so 
as Jesus comes and dies, as your sin in your place to pay that price, he ushers in with him a kingdom which is life as it was meant to be, heaven breaking into earth, into our reality, so that one day there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more destruction, and no more death as we fully go to live with him. But in the meantime, we get to be part of this kingdom that Jesus has ushered in where we don't just spectate, we get to participate in the people that God has created us ultimately to be. And he comes to live inside us as his spirit to enable us to live that. You can give a clap to the gospel. I say that at its heart, our faith is simple. Those of us who have been walking in the reality of that for many years, we know that to be true. At the same time, theology is the attempt of faith to understand all of that and its place in the cultural moment that you and I inhabit and to articulate beliefs about God and reality as we pursue the way of Jesus. So there are many schools of theology and serious theologians writing huge books that some of you may have read. But for today, when the President of the United States says, God bless America, or you've had a bad day, you post it on Facebook, and your nan replies to say, everything happens for a reason, these statements consciously or unconsciously presuppose a theological position. And all of us will have a theology on our work, on our finances, on our home, on our politics, on what happens when we die, and even whether you believe God knew everything was going to happen before it unfolded in the history of humanity. Even the architecture of this building is a tapestry of theological decisions made by people just like you and I a hundred years ago. So theology is not only happening in the first century, as Paul writes to the Thessalonians or Bonhoeffer is writing The Cost of Discipleship while he's in prison, implicated in the plot to assassinate Hitler. It's not only happening when Mother Teresa is loving leper colonies, or as our Moreland students write their essays, or written about in huge, complex, encyclopedic books. Theology is happening right now and all the time in your own life, because our understanding of who God is affects everything we do and think. The theologian J.I. Packer says, for those of us who ask, is this journey really necessary? Surely we can get on without it. After all, this is the 21st century, not the 19th. Ah, a fair question. But this assumes that a study of the nature and character of God will be unpractical and irrelevant for life. In fact, it's the most practical project anyone can engage in. Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. So, there are broadly four influences which shape the theology that we all have. Coming up on the screen is something called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral, which outlines these four theological influences which shape why we all think what we do about God, ourselves, life, and what we believe. They are Tradition, reason, experience, and scripture. And next week, we're going to be focusing exclusively on scripture because we even have a theology on this, which is the next slide. Now, these are complex. 
because you and I don't live in a vacuum. Your experience, your reason, and your traditions even will influence how you interpret Scripture. This is why context is so important to understanding the Bible when we read it. This and the relative emphasis that we place on each of the four is why we have denominations of faith. Denominations are branches or different expressions of Christian faith. So for example, uh, the Catholic tradition, the Catholic faith, places an equal emphasis on tradition as it does scripture. And then more charismatic or more spirit-filled denominations or branches or expressions of Christianity will place an equal emphasis on experience as they do scripture. We cannot escape our own context with the history of ideas behind it shaping the moment you and I are living into, which we have a responsibility to understand. And of course, the context that we're living in changes. With each generation, there are new questions, new challenges, new realities to dialogue with. And so theology, therefore, will always be an ongoing task. We're all doing theology So how do we do it well? Well, for a few minutes, to keep it really simple, the four ways that we can enter into this today are by meditating on the why, the way, the who, and the wonder of what we believe. So firstly, you and I need to make sense of life. It's just the way we're designed. This is why we tell and we love stories, because stories take the seemingly random events of life and place them in a sequence so that taken together, you can understand the meaning in the bigger picture. The same is true of the beliefs that you hold. We must have a reasonable, coherent understanding every time you leave the house or do anything you do of the beliefs that you hold about reality. Why do you believe what you do about life? This is the basis of theology. I have a fascination with Mormonism, for example, and I love talking with Latter-day Saints, but I need to know what's true so that I can discern what is not. For the same reason that I'm not a pantheist, which is someone who believes that God and the universe are the same thing, which is a very popular belief these days if you hear people say, "Uh, I pray to the universe or the universe is blessing me. Christianity sits within one of three broad categories. The first of which is that only the universe exists. And so within that we find atheism, naturalism, scientism, materialism. The second category is that only God exists. And so that encompasses Eastern religions such as Buddhism or pantheism. And the third category is that both God and the universe exist. And so within that, we find Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. So we have to understand what's going on between different worldviews and why what we believe is a true reference of reality. There are three reasons that we have a responsibility to know what is true and why we believe what we do. Firstly, we need to give a compelling reason to the curious questions of the world. Why is it true that Jesus loves you? That God is still good in the face of unimaginable pain, suffering, and grief. 
and that the way to live the good life is found in relationship with Jesus. Secondly, Jesus commanded us to love the Lord with all your mind. So understanding is actually an act of love. And thirdly, Jesus says, go and make disciples. That is a a command, uh, an invitation issued to every single one of us. But what are we discipling them in? This requires understanding. So, theology is not for someone else. You are embodying what it is to do theology every time you think or speak or act in accordance with the beliefs that you have. As my friend Pete says, it's the scaffolding that we build our lives inside of. So we need to be intentional about what is shaping it. Secondly, we need to understand our faith so that we can live it out. You cannot live for something until you understand why. What does it look like to live the way of Jesus today? Because when you know what's true, we know what to do. The Bible says that wise thinking leads to right living in the book of Ecclesiastes. Why must we seek to make sense of God, his revelation in the Bible, make sense of ourselves and the world around us? Well, we need a theology of what's true in the big picture and in the small about particular ideas so that we can speak the truth in love and because we can be deceived by stories that sound good but aren't true. Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. One of the philosophies in our time that I'm particularly convicted by in an age of individualism is that it's all about you. Live your truth. Love yourself. This is a a message coming through new generations today, and it's a false gospel because, of course, it sounds like good news. I've got no network connection and no notes, which is not good news. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, do you know what? I actually might have to. I have no explanation for what's just happened. We're back. Okay. You don't want me to wing it. <laughs> so, one of the philosophies shaping our time is love yourself, live your truth, it's all about you. But the soul was not designed to be focused on itself. So many of the crises in our culture are because we've bought into the lie that it's all about us. But you are designed to love God and your neighbor as yourself. Which voice is shaping your life? Is it find yourself and create your own identity? Or whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to find their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. The invitation of Jesus is to true life. And the imitation of it sounds like life, but it doesn't lead to life in all of its fullness. 
If you are here today or you're watching online and you're facing challenges of illness mentally, sickness physically, maybe you're feeling emotionally fragile, maybe you're concerned about finances, the promise of the Bible and of the God who created you is that when you turn to Jesus, there's a promise of contentment. Because you and I, all of us, are all driven by unmet needs and unfulfilled desires. And where you take those will transform you into the person you become. You cannot fulfill your own needs by simply loving yourself. If you've tried to and it hasn't worked, it's because you're not designed to. Read any study about the effects of loneliness and isolation on the human psyche and physiology. So there is intention for us sat in this building, two competing ideas, dying to yourself versus becoming fully myself. These are opposite claims, and many of us live in the tension of this contradiction, which leads to a theological term we call syncretism, which is the merging of two dissonant cultures that causes mutated ideas. And we see this in Christianity today. How much of what we do and think is biblical or cultural? Which story are you living out because of what you've believed in? So many people deconstruct faith, but not the philosophies of the world around them which influence that faith. Thirdly, here's the secret. There is a stereotype that theology is detached, is cerebral, is lofty and leather-bound in its pursuit. But this is not about the head. This is about the heart. Theology is not about knowing the what, it's about knowing the who. We must get to know God, to know his mind, his heart, his will and his ways, so that we can be a people who come to know God, who love him more and become all that God has made him to be. Committed to personal transformation, investing in a community of love and encouragement, ministering to those far from God and making disciples. This is our vision statement here at Coastline because we want to be authentic followers of Jesus whose lives are marked by intimate worship, courageous faith, passionate service, and extravagant generosity because we want to see the spiritual renewal of our town and nation and to always be known as a people who love the king and live the kingdom. You see, theology matters because right thinking leads to right living, but right relationship leads to right loving. This is about knowing the who. Scripture says in the book of Jeremiah that let them who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me. We need to understand what we believe and what influences that so that we don't do damage to ourselves and others as we live the kingdom. And this happens not by knowing God, not by knowing about God, but knowing God and loving God himself. How do we know him more? The promise is that when we draw near to him, 
in understanding and relationship, he will draw near to us. And how do we know God more? Well, it's by coming into relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that gives us revelation, insight, and understanding. Paul writes in Corinthians, God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. We're going to take a pause for a few minutes. We're actually going to watch a video. And this video for a few minutes is a scene taken from The Chosen, which many of us will have seen. I'm going to say a few things about it in a moment to bring us to close. But in this scene, this is a great example of those four theological influences coming together. Reason, tradition, experience, and scripture. Welcome, Nicodemus. Don't be alarmed. He's waiting for you. I asked the owner of this house for more lanterns, but he said they would draw attention. Yes, I imagine they would. The human eye is drawn to light. We can't help it. It just happens. There are many things we are drawn to without our thinking or our ability to explain why. Thank you for agreeing to meet. Thank you for trying to help Mary when you did no help. You were meant to be there. Me? So I could fail miserably at an exorcism in the Red Quarter? <laughs> if you had not been there that day, would you be on this roof tonight? I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. I... Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe... You are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see, 
unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean, like, a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. And you'll see more. Are you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I can't... You have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to... to give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain... is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? Uh, maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave, and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. Kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. It can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground. Okay. <laughs> 
holy roof and <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. You don't have to do that. What are you doing? Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. <laughs> so Nicodemus, in this scene, he lived within the walls of reason, tradition, and scripture as a leader within the Sanhedrin. But he lacked a transforming encounter with who God is until he experienced Jesus. Because the truth is a person. It is understood in relationship, knowing who God is personally. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just abstract knowledge. And believe me, I have struggled with a lot of this, of this journeying from my head to my heart. How does it become heart? Go and live it. Go and make a difference to the things that break your heart. Join in with our vision here at Coastline. This is why Jesus invites Nicodemus to come and follow him, to put into practice everything that he knew in his head. As Nicodemus discovers, not everything is meant to be understood through reason alone. And in the West, you and I, with an analytical mindset, built into the broader Western worldview that we live into. We want an answer for everything. But Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to shatter religious thinking by restoring relationship. Theology seeks to understand the why, the way, and the who of God, and what he might do through you as you partner with him. But relationship will always introduce mystery, because relationship will always move us in the direction of losing control. God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been in relationship forever. And we are included in that mystery when we enter into that relationship. So the why, the way, and the who. But theology also leads us to the wonder of God. Because some things are a mystery. See, as Christians, those of us who are followers of Jesus here today and watching online, we read the Bible looking for truth, but the way that it's written is designed to find meaning. There needs to be room for mystery. That's what leads to wonder. It's buried treasure, so we have to search to find it. This is why Jesus speaks in parables and God is found in faith. The Bible says, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Make me understand your precepts so I will meditate on your wonders. We still don't, as humanity, have a coherent understanding of time. 
We don't know how gravity works, what's in the deepest parts of the ocean. And I can't explain through reason, tradition, experience, or scripture how when my father-in-law was dying 18 months ago, and when he was in hospital as part of that, he is convinced that my mum came to visit him. Now, my mum died when I was 13. My father-in-law, when he was in hospital, in Bournemouth Hospital, had no idea that my mum had worked as a nurse for her career at Bournemouth Hospital. She also died of the exact same thing that he was sick from. But he is absolutely convinced with a lucid mind that she came to visit him. I can't explain that. Was she an angel? Was it an apparition in human form? Was it a vision? I have no idea. But there's a reason that this is what's written on the front of my Bible. This is something that God spoke to me a few years ago. Come find me in the mystery. He is a mystery. And the invitation is come and see. Come and find me. Theology leads us deeper into discovery of the why, the way, the who, and the wonder of faith. And theology is lived well when we enter into wanting to know God more.